Alright guys, welcome back to another episode of Broly Love in the District. Tristan here along with Jacob, and Jacob's going to go ahead and tell you what we're going to get into today. Yeah, so this week we're going to be talking about uh, the previous NFL matchups, talking about both the Washington and Philly game, and then going on to the next week, there's a big primetime matchup on Monday night between Philly and Washington, so I want to preview that. Going on into hockey, um, since we talk, last talked, both of our teams have played a few games, and have lost so, some quite difficult games, so we'll talk about that. And finally, the World Series has come to an end, so I want to give our thoughts on that, and then give our thoughts on the awards that are currently be that are currently being given out. So let's get right into it. So yeah, starting off with football, I don't think we need to touch too much on the Eagles game we talked about in the last no. episode. Uh, they played last Thursday, so that we usually record on Friday. <laughs> so that was one where it was kind of odd. So. Uh, we don't really need to touch on that one. We we can touch on it a little bit, but if you guys want to hear like our full analysis of it, you guys can go to our last episode, uh, and we we'll, we talk about that. But I mean, overall, I did. I'll substitute it with this instead. So, one of, I believe, I don't know how f firm you are in this belief, but I know a lot of people, especially coming up to me lately, have been chirping me saying that you know the Eagles are. A repeat of the 12 and 0 Steelers or 11 and 0 Steelers excuse me uh and they ended up finishing off that season 12 and 4 and I just wanted to like I I guess there's kind of like there's a difference between what I feel like the Steelers did the Steelers I feel like they were only winning close games that they should have been dominating in. the Eagles I don't I wouldn't say that they are yet a legit team and I even talked about this a little bit in our predictions thing yesterday. The Eagles look right now like they would have a cakewalk to the NFC, the NFC championship. Because all the other teams who look like they should be giving a fight in, you know, you're looking oh, I don't want expanded. Uh you're looking at teams like Tampa Bay, LA, San Fran, these Green Bay, these are all teams that looked like they should be a troublesome for the Eagles going on their way to the NFC Championship. And none of them are good. I think the Eagles, while yes, there are probably three teams who have a chance to possibly dethrone the Eagles in the playoffs. Dallas, Seahawks, Seahawks and the Giants. Vikings. Oh, oh yeah, four. Excuse me, the Vikings. Well, and the Giants also, that, that could be a shout because like think... NFC East especially is very fluky in the games. I think so. so. I think the Giants are even, despite the record. I think the Giants are more of a fraudulent team than the Eagles are. I mean, the Giants, if yet, so they beat the Packers, they beat the Ravens, who I thought were a pretty good team, but the Giants are being carried off of their defense. Daniel Jones still is not a good quarterback. He, they're basically running everything off of Saquon. Saquon has 780 rushing yards. Their highest receiver, guess who leads their team in receiving? I'm not going um, to... I'll, I'll tell you this right not, now. It's not Saquon. It is a receiver. It's not Kadarius Toney. He's not even on the team anymore. Yeah, he, he's gone. I'm trying to think of Giants wide receivers. It's not Kenny Galladay. Nope. Kenny Galladay has... Uh, two receptions for 22 yards on the season. Who is it? Darius Slayton leads the team. Crap! With, I knew that I was forgetting somebody. With, Damn, I knew with that. a whopping 232 yards. The, yeah, Giants, the Giants are being carried by their defense. And yes, the saying is defense wins championships, but if they were to get to the playoffs, when you get a team with a experienced head coach, and I think this could also be the downfall for the Eagles, when you get to the playoffs and you play a team with an experienced coach, if they if they scheme up your defense, you're done. Like that's the Giants have no offensive production outside, outside of, Saquon of Saquon Barkley. I, Saquon Barkley is their third highest in receiving. So the Giants, I feel, are more of a fluke than the Eagles because their their offense isn't great. Aside from Saquon, their defense is carrying them, and also they've been very fortunate injury wise because 
they're they're twenty. Their starting twenty two is good, but their depth is not. So they're very fortunate injury wise. They are a couple injuries away from being screwed on the season. I mean, that's also with the Eagles. If James Bradbury or Darius Slay goes down, hopefully they don't knock on wood. But if one of them goes down, the Eagles secondary is done. That they have no top corners to back them up. They have no third corner. So, I mean, yes, that is. Now, the Eagles have had a very easy schedule, but it's the fact that the teams that they're playing, they're dominating them. They have, so they have played eight games. Four of their wins have been double-digit wins. That includes this. Well, they're, te- they're dominating them in, like, halves of football. It's like, so, there hasn't and, been a lot of games where we've seen domination be continued throughout the whole game. And I think I think there's one thing to that. So, yes, they haven't been dominating the entire game, but if you look at the way they play defense in the first half compared to the way they play defense in the second half, the Eagles right now are the best second quarter scoring team in the NFL. They have more points in the second quarter alone than some teams have the entire season in all four quarters. So the Eagles are just going crazy in the second quarter. Why? I'm not sure. I don't know how it works, but... It's working. That's all that matters. So they are putting up mass amounts of points in second quarters this season. Against the Lions, they put up 24 points in the second quarter. Against the Vikings, they put up 17 in the sec- second quarter. Excuse me. Against the Commanders, they put up 24 in the second quarter. Uh, this this Texans game is really the only team that stopped the Eagles in the second quarter. They only put up seven. So they have just been outscoring opponents insanely just in the second quarter. And so then if you – they're then up by, you know, 20 – 14 to 20 points come the third quarter, come the second half. And if you watch, there's a difference between Jonathan Ganning playing as a defensive coordinator and the old defensive coordinator in Jim Schwartz. Jim Schwartz never took his foot off the gas when they had the when they had the lead. For example, when Jim Schwartz was the defensive coordinator and they won the Super Bowl with Nick Foles, they beat the Broncos. I want to say the final was like 51-7, to something like that, something crazy like that. Jonathan Gannon doesn't do that. He kind of lets off. They play shell coverage. They, pay, they play Ben don't break come the second quarter. So I think that's a big difference, and I don't think the Eagles really – I don't – I think they take their foot off the gas come the second half if they're up by a ton. And I think that's a change. So, yes, they're not dominating in the second half, but I think it's because it's a change in the coaching mindset from when they won the Super Bowl to now, which obviously that's – there are two things that you're hoping happen at the same time, and they're two totally different coaching staffs. But I think there's just a change in the coaching team, and that's why you're not seeing full dominations in games. But they are dominating teams. The Cow- So the four games that they didn't win by double digits were the, the Cardinals. I, I was gonna go. Jags. I was gonna go earliest game to latest game. So earliest game was the Jags. They they were up by double digits, and the Jaguars scored a late-ish well, actually, touchdown. Actually, the earliest earliest game was the Lions. Remember? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I say I'll say this now. I'll say it again all the time. Uh, week ones are flukes, especially now that you no one really plays in preseason anymore. I always I I never take anything as it should be in week one because you have an entire offense or an entire off season, excuse me, to scheme up what you're gonna do against that team. No one plays preseason anymore. Everyone's still trying to work the kinks out of their bodies and get back into get back into the groove of football. So Week ones are a little fluky, and the Lions offense played amazing in that game. So that game, I don't really count as much, but it is a single-digit win. Going to the next game, the Jaguars, they were up by double digits. The Jaguars scored a late game. And keep in mind, this is a game where the Eagles were down 14 to nothing. They were, uh, they looked like they were down and out, but it was a rain game. It was a hard game. The Jaguars scored with about eight minutes left, and then the Eagles just shut them down from there. They didn't have any. So that's one of the – that's an eight-point difference. Then the Cowboys, this was another game. They were totally dominant They the entire game, and they had – the Cowboys didn't look like they had any life of them. The Eagles were up 20 to nothing at some point, and the Eagles just shut down and let the Cowboys play their game. Cowboys came back. So again, a dominant performance where they just laid off and let the Cowboys play a little bit of offense. And then 
the Cardinals game, which this one is probably the closest thing to a non-dominant win that the Eagles have had all season. They only scored seven in the second quarter. It was a close game the entire way. Yes, the Eagles went up 14 to nothing for a little bit, but the Cardinals came back. Their defense played well. That is the closest. The Cardinals is the closest game to a telling of what potentially could be wrong with the Eagles, in my opinion. But I, yes, the Eagles are 8-0. Yes, their schedule hasn't been the strongest. I think they've beat two teams. From what I'm looking at now, they've beat two teams with a winning record. Because uh, I don't... Yeah, the Cardinals don't have a winning record right now. So they beat the Vikings and the Cowboys, who are the only two teams with winning records right now. So yes, you can look at it at record. But if you look at it, if you actually dive deep into the games and what has happened in the games, I think the Eagles are much stronger of a team than people look at. And since no one's going to do that, I think there's just a little bit of... I don't want to say hate because obviously the Eagles are a good team. Jalen Hurts is having an MVP season. But I think there's a little bit of mis misunderstanding going on is probably the best way to put it. Yes, the Eagles are 8-0. Yes, their schedule isn't strong. But the team, the way that they've won in these games, they've put on shows, especially against the Vikings. Vikings are 7-1, and and they beat them 24-7. Um, you understand that they're 7-1, and but we. I'm going to stay on this topic. But we saw in the Commanders game that... They're not exactly the most impressive 7-1 team and considering how bad the NFC is this year outside of the NFC East, surprisingly. Um, so I think that tells a lot. But the, with the can, e can I just say one more thing e on the Vikings? Yeah. Real quick before. The Vikings, their, their wins have... So they have a four-point win against the Lions, a three-point win against the Saints, which they almost went into overtime with. Yeah, uh, a seven-point win over the Bears, eight-point win over the Dolphins and the Cardinals, and then a three-point win over the Commanders. So if we're going off of this whole fake thing, again, Minnesota isn't doing what the Eagles are doing. The Eagles are dominating these teams. Minnesota's barely well, scratching out those wins. Like, yeah, I'd say you're dominating in certain halves of football, but my problem is I want to see like them do it throughout an entire game. I understand that. Like, sometimes you really don't have to, but when it comes down to it, when you... I'd say your biggest tests so far um, um, that you're that are going to come, I think the Titans, because we saw yes, this with Titans the Chiefs. You're very similar to the... I'd say you're kind of similar to the Chiefs' offense in that it's very explosive. You have a quarterback who can move, gets out of, outside of the pocket, but the Titans, I think, kind of found a way to beat teams like the Chiefs and you guys because I think you struggle against running based offenses I think we saw the Texans had success with running um, I'm surprised that the Vikings didn't big... try and run more but credit to your defense they stepped up but we've still seen that you guys have struggled with running even in the Cardinals game they didn't have a lot of carries but they averaged a lot of yards in those carries so I think they could be a problem. I think the Giants could just because it's a division matchup. Yeah, it's division gonna... matchups are always hard. So I, yeah, I think then, the Giants could the be rough Cowboys. and the Cowboys. Cowboys. And then the Cowboys because Dak's back, and then they obviously found um, a new run game in Tony Pollard. But back to the thing of the Eagles possibly being overhyped, I understand that that like you haven't really – you're not going to face the real, real test. Like I'd say the Seahawks, I'd say outside of you guys are – probably the number one test in the NFCE considering they have experienced coaching. They seem to have a motivated quarterback in Geno Smith who's having a comeback player of the year season. They have a really good young running back and their defense seems to be stepping up when they need. So I think that's why people Which are kind of face. They won't face until the playoffs if they do. No, no. Um, so I think that's why people worry about the Eagles, but at the end of the day, you just have to beat the people on your in schedule. front of you. Exactly. Yeah, and I understand that. But in going on what you said to the Giants, I understand that their team, like, they have a good defense, but they seem to have a one-dimensional offense. But we've seen teams like that win. The 2010 Jets, who had one of the best, I'd say the best defense of the decade in the 2010s, um, they were one yard away from going to a Super Bowl. In 2010, they were literally a yard away from going to the Super Bowl and beating the Steelers. So, And they had a very similar team. I've actually pulled up their stats. Um, 
obviously Mark Sanchez was the quarterback and he only had 3,200 yards that season with 17 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. Daniel, Daniel Jones can do that. The running backs. Daniel Ladanian, Jones is on track for 2,600 yards right now. Yeah, but um, going into this, LaDainian Tomlinson only had 900 yards for six touchdowns. Uh, Saquon is going to do more than that, but it's very similar to this team, I'd say. They have a good defense. Their offense is just meant to be in there, not to screw things up. And we actually saw with the Bucks and the Ravens, they won Super Bowls with Brad Johnson and Trent Dilfer and and quarterback respectively. So understand that I'd say they're a little bit I wouldn't say they're fraudulent because I think they're properly rated at this moment, but I do think it's possible for a team that's built like that to make a run. I mean, I could see what you're saying there. Uh I also believe that this is a different type of age in the way defense is played so i mean there yes there are arguments both way but the last thing i want to say on this is just to finish off my little rant about the eagles being overhyped quote unquote is one you can only play in front of your schedule who is on your schedule so i mean yes eagles benefited from that and they're taking advantage because guess what the other team cowboys giants and the commanders all have the same exact schedule for the most part for the most part yeah for the most. Uh, aside from three games that they have the same exact schedule and all of them have losses so that's I, you yeah. can only play who's on your schedule and the eagles are taking advantage of it and secondly it's hard to win in this league no matter who you play even the worst team in the league can win a game and any that's that's where you get the that's where you get the saying any given Sunday. So th- those are just the last things I want to put out there. I I see where people are coming from saying that the Eagles haven't played anyone, but at the same time, if they were to actually dive and look into their games and see what is being done in the games, I think that it might change their mind just a little bit. Uh but going we'll pivot away from that and go talk about the Washington against Minnesota. Yeah, and this is a game I feel the Commanders lost more than the Vikings won, if that makes any sense. Yeah. But um, going on to it, um, our defense continually played better. I think like the team seemed um, – I think we found our somewhat of our footing defensively. I think Del Rio and Rivera have kind of figured something out, and it's all based off the defensive line. Um, they only had two sacks, but they're leading the league, and I think sacks, quarterback pressures, and a few other stats. So our defensive line is really carrying this defense. Benjamin St. Juice has actually come out, and once we figured out the exact system we're going to play, I think he started to play better. Um, Fuller's playing better. Our safeties are playing better. Our linebackers, Jamin Davis, has actually been playing better, but I just don't think we have enough personnel at this point, even though he is playing better so I like that, but I just don't think we have the personnel. Um, so I think that's something we need to solve. But our offense, I think, was – I think offense and coaching were the stories of this game. Um, going on into offense, especially Scott Turner, there's no real flow to this offense. Um, if you watch the games, there's some really questionable calls. Like on third and nine, they called this weird, like, delayed quarterback draw where – it was hiked behind key. He waited a second and then ran, and it was only went for one yard, and that was on a third and nine. But then on a third and one, for some reason, we called a pass, which I don't entirely understand because it wasn't exactly late in the game, and I think it was two-down territory where you could just run and get the first down. But, yeah, our offense is way too inconsistent. Heineke, he had, he had a great drive that, that a uh, passing touchdown to Curtis Samuel where it was thrown into triple coverage, but the third cornerback ran into the ref and then Samuel caught it, I think was a bit of a fluke. Probably should have been intercepted, but when that play happened, I'm like, we're really rewarding this. It was kind of that feeling. Um, but I think Heineke with the interception that happened in the fourth quarter, which was a real dagger to us and was one of the reasons we lost the game, kind of showed why he's a backup. It wasn't a particularly hard throw. I mean, he just, like, there was some pressure from the line, but he just completely overthrew the wide receiver, and it was a pick. So I think that kind of showed that he is in the future, and I really question the coaching um, from both Rivera Rivera and Scott Turner. I think Rivera's um, time management really hurt us at the end of the game. 
So yeah, it's a that was a really really tough loss. Um, and you again, guys were up a lot too. You you were up what seventeen three at one point. Yeah, it was something like that, but uh, seventeen seventeen seven. Yeah, we easily could have won. Um, there was a Benjamin St. Jews pick six that was called back, which probably could have been called as a like like there probably could not have been a flag on the play because both Jefferson and Juice were kind of pushing and tugging on each other throughout the entire play, so that easily could have been just offset. Is a uh, is well, okay, say it gets offset, that play gets redone, Benjamin St. Juice doesn't get that touchdown. Which well, I'm off, offset meaning that you don't call a flag because Oh, you're saying they don't play because yeah, both the players like were what they were doing could have been categorized as pass interference on both of them. So that's why that's what I meant from offset meaning yeah. you don't call a flag. And I mean, I think most of the time with that it's it's gonna go against the defense most of the time anyway. Yeah. But uh there what is I don't know if they still do this because I haven't seen it since the initial season that they did it. But can you still challenge pass interference? Maybe. I, I'll, I don't. Know, I'll double check on think, that because I don't remember. I think we might have used our challenge at some. I don't remember, but possibly be. But what I said last week is the key to victory. I think would have been the run game, and we just weren't able to really get that going. I think part of it's down to the offensive line. Um, Robinson, 13 carries, 44 yards, averaging 3.4, not particularly great. I mean, he he did get some nice grind-out yards, but we didn't get enough of those explosive runs where we're averaging, say, six yards an attempt. That's what I think we really needed to win. But Gibson, not much better. So, yeah, I think our offense is really what's hurting us. I think Scott Turner is a hindrance to this team. Um, so, yeah, but... The, I mean, I just, there's, oh, there's I just, a silver lining considering our offense didn't play particularly great and we almost beat us now 7-1 team. Uh, real quick, uh, I looked it up. The pass interf- You can no longer challenge pass interference. Okay. They, only, they th- only threw it in there for one season to see how it would work, and then they were going to go off of there and vote on it, and they decided they didn't want to keep it. So you can no longer challenge pass interference. Which, I mean, it didn't really work when it was in the rule book, so it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you guys played a close game with the Vikings, who are obviously a – look like a really good team right now, 7-1, second-best record in the NFC. And, I mean, also they're another team that's kind of coming out of a bad division. But, like I said earlier, they've been playing they've been playing close games with not great teams. So you guys probably should have been able to pull that out. If you guys yeah. could get your run game going, I think the Washington offense would be so much better. But since yeah. you guys are, I mean, it's the it's the opposite of the Giants. You guys have are one dimensional, but instead of the run, it's passing, it's, which it's I wouldn't really pass. say I wouldn't really say is as beneficial because when you're one dimensional with a single player like Saquon, he is so versatile and such a big player, difference maker. That you know he can catch the ball, he can run, you can do whatever you want with him. When you only have the pass to you know wide receivers and also Brian Robinson isn't a pass catching back. You have to you bring in Antonio Gibson. No, that, but we have Gibson and McKissick for that. Yeah, but that that brings out that tells the defense what you're gonna run. So it, there's yeah. there's weaknesses and strengths in both, and so the fact that you can't really get the run game going, I think, is really hurting the offense. But Jahan Dotson should be coming back. Relatively yeah, soon, that's correct? great. But I, I know there was think... talks about him possibly being back this week. Yeah, he should be back this week. But I just still think that Scott Turner's a hindrance to this offense. Again, there's no flow when we when you see our really good drives. It still feels a little sporadic. It doesn't feel like there's any real flow or a plan for the offense. It just seems like they're calling random plays, and a lot of them don't make sense when they're calling them again. Why are you calling a quarterback sneak or a quarterback draw on third and nine for some reason? I do not understand that. You need to throw that play away. And going back to when Carson Wentz was playing, on the three-yard line, they called a read option for Carson Wentz. On what planet is that a good idea? So I think Scott Turner needs to go. I'm, I still think Rivera probably needs to go. But I think the silver lining of this team is um, that dark cloud 
over the team, a.k.a. Dan Snyder, I think is going to be cleared up soon because Benjamin St. Juice is actually the first player to come out and say that he feels like um, Snyder is a dark cloud over the team, that no matter what, it feels like they're always taking a step back. And that's really great for the fans because that's something I think we've really felt for years now, and he's the first player to say it. Uh, and other than that, I mean, you guys had a close game. And with Jahan Dotson back, that's going to be a big piece back for you guys. Uh, is there anything else from that previous week that you have? and Or do you want to go ahead and talk about this week? Because this, this is a big week, like you said. Yeah, uh, let's talk about this week. So Washington coming to Philadelphia, looking to break the undefeated streak. And I had someone point out to me earlier that... We did he, beat the, the Steelers in their Steelers yeah, in, in their 11, Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh in their eleven and zero season. Now, like I said earlier, I think the Eagles are a different team than that eleven and zero team, but uh, or I think that Steelers team is different than this Eagles team. But I again, this is a division game, so I think this is going to be hard. Anything no matter could what. happen. Now, you said in our predictions game uh, video that you think that. Taylor Heineke is going to throw at least one pick. I would agree yeah. there. I, I think the defense is going to play a huge factor in this game because they're obviously they got to pass the ball a lot. They're not going to be able to run. There's a big piece of it is if Jordan Davis is going to be playing. Jordan Davis, first round pick, you know, 300 pound, 350 pound man clogging up the middle. I think that's one reason that Damian Pierce had a big game in on Thursday was because he could. There was no big clog in the middle like there usually isn't. And I think uh, you don't really have any good second-level linebackers that are really good at the uh, run defense. There, there was also a weakness in the the safeties. They weren't really yeah. stepping up trying to make tackles. They were kind, they were looking kind of timid. So they there was definitely some tackling needs that need to be filled there, and they need to work on that for this week. But overall... Looking at it, I, the Eagles on paper have a huge advantage. They are at home, so Philly's going to be rocking. They're undefeated. They have been playing amazing, and on top of that, you don't have your quarterback, and the Eagles are coming off a mini bye week. So I I don't remember if how they did last season after the bye, but this season they won after their bye. Then they have their mini bye. With everyone rested up, I feel like the Eagles should have a big advantage here and should be able to take care of Washington easily. They do. Um, I think our defensive line is going to prove you problems. I think the defense. I think we're going to limit you guys um, to a decent amount of points, but we're not going to limit you enough considering how sporadic and unpredictable our offense is. If we were able to get the run game going, then I think this would be a lot closer game because we saw in the past that. I think kind of the track record to beat you is to really use the run game heavy and to limit those turnovers, but I just don't think we have the offensive line to do that. Yeah, I think Robinson could have a decent game come down to Heineke's going to have to pass a lot, and we saw last week that he's not the best passer. Um, he just simply isn't. He's not the future franchise quarterback. Um, but I do think this – I think we could – come in like a little invigorated possibly shocking the like shock you in certain ways because i think with this whole dan schneider news i think the team's kind of feeling like re-energized kind of it's like a feeling that okay we know that this thing that's looming over our heads is kind of going to be taken away so i think that's going to be a big factor but when it comes down to it i just don't think we have the run game and i just don't think our de- our defense is gonna play good against you guys but it's not gonna be good enough considering how bad our offense is the the offensive line needs to have a better game than they did last time they played they gave up nine sacks yeah it was something no, like that eight or nine sacks with carson wentz in the backfield so they need to figure that out and yep. especially with ta- i mean taylor heineke though he i feel like he has yeah, just a little bit yeah he has a little bit more scramble mobility than Carson Wentz but they need to figure that out and if you're and on top of that I mean Javon Hargrave's starting to find his groove if 
they they have their players are starting to find their groove now that they get later in the season. So the offensive line is going to have to play even better than they did last time, and they didn't play that great last time. So it's going to be a little rough for them. Uh, I think your defensive line could have a big game, uh, especially if they watch last week and see the way Jerry Hughes played against our offensive tackles. Obviously, yeah. our offensive tackles are two big lumbering guys. One's six eight, the other one's six six. Uh, and Montez Sweat is a very, very fast. fast. Exactly. That, so, he, I think he's going to have a big so game. If, if your defensive ends can get their speed going with their bend, they, it's going to be rough for the offensive tackles. So it's going to be huge for them to uh, them to work on that. But on the same on the same token, it's going to be huge for Jordan Mailata to be. He needs to be in the film room and studying and seeing. Hey, this is how I got beat last week. I need to make sure that I don't do that again this week. So. It's going to be yeah. interesting to see how that works. Uh, I like. I think your defensive line could have a decent game, but I'm really interested to see how quickly Jordan Jalen Hurts will be getting rid of the ball. He's he's definitely as the season goes along, you see the way he has progressed as a quarterback. Obviously, a MVP candidate right now. So I think that's. It's a totally different game than when you guys than when we met in week three. So yeah. I, it's going to be an interesting game either way. I am excited to watch it. Uh, it's Monday night, so it's going to be a good game come Monday. Uh, is that is there anything else for you in the NFL? I don't think I have no. anything. Uh, we do talk more about the NFL in general on our predictions on YouTube. If you guys want to go check those out, so uh, that is YouTube at Brother Love in the District. Moving over to the NHL, uh, we talked. We last talked on Sun or Friday, eleven four. So it has been a week since then. Flyers have only played three games. They played against the Senators, the Blues, and the Blue Jackets. Not much. There's not much really to talk about here. The Flyers they had a really complete game against the Senators as a whole. They only won two to nothing. They played their former captain Claude Giroux, and he scored the only goal that. The Senator scored in that game, but the goal that he scored was a perfectly executed tic-tac-toe three-on-two. There was really nothing the Flyers could have done on that play. No way any goalie in the league could have stopped it, so it was just a perfectly executed play. No really, nothing to, ang nothing to be angry about in that game, but they played really well offensively. There weren't a lot of goals scored, but it was a really complete game. Then they go and play Tuesday against a struggling Blues team who had lost seven up to that point, beat the Blues 5-1 to one in probably their most complete game of the season, uh, and take them down, move them to an eight-game losing streak, and yesterday fall to the five and fall to the three and nine Blue Jackets, five to two. So yesterday not exactly their greatest game, but I mean, this is hockey. You have to win some. You have to lose some. It's a division game. You're going to have a couple of those games like that. Carter Hart still playing out of his mind. He, I'm going to pull up his, what he did yesterday. Because, I mean, Carter Hart right now is just one of the biggest, one of the reasons that he has, that the Flyers have the record they do. They are 7-6-2, I believe. Uh, if I can pull up. 7-4-2. I don't know where I got six from. But they're 7-4-2, 16 points, 4th and 5th in the division. They're not playing terrible, but the only reason that they have as many points as they do is because of Carter Hart. Yesterday was one of his weaker games. He only had an 8-8-9 save percentage in the game yesterday. 24 saves on 27 shots. But Carter Hart has been ex excellent this season. Felix Sandstrom got his first win in that Blues game. He put up a great game there. I think this team is outplaying their standards way more than they should be. And last week I said they looked like they were starting to come back down to earth, but I feel like there's definitely a little bit there's a little bit of success looming in the air in Philadelphia. You know, there's that whole we're not expected to do anything this season. Let's show them what we can do. And I mean, they started out similar to this last season, but I feel like there's just a little bit more positivity in the air in philadelphia if that makes sense it doesn't seem as dark as it did in the past couple of seasons i don't know if i really made sense there but in my head i kind of get what i'm saying uh but flyers still not they're not terrible but they're not great they're 
hovering around a midpoint, which I'm okay with. So, uh, going over to the Capitals, six, seven, and two. But like you said earlier, pre-show, that you guys are missing about forty million dollars. Yeah, in and so it's kind of hard to judge this team, but I'm going to. Um, our saving graces have actually been the goaltending. The goalies have played really well, even in their tough games. Like um, Lindgren had a tough game against the Oilers but he made a game saving great stop so I mean we can't really fault them too much but our defense again it's been too inconsistent and even without Carl like without Carlson we I think probably look a little better but it's just we don't have I don't think the defensive depth to do anything I think we need a whole rework of the defense and our forwards are just too inconsistent outside of Strom and Ovechkin, Strom and Ovechkin are playing great. Strom looks like a breath of fresh air. I really hope they re-sign him. But guys like Anthony Mantha, I do not want to see him playing on this team anymore. I'm so tired of his lackadaisical play. There was a uh, play against the Oilers where he could have split the gap. Like, it was a turnover. It would, could have been a one-on-two where... He could have drawn penalty where if he just skated really hard and tried to split the gap between two defenders, but he doesn't. He didn't. He just tried to wait for it to develop. So I'm getting tired of Mantha. I don't like his play. I just don't think like his style of play like that lacks the daisical crap. I mean, it can work, but it, if you're surrounded by really fast players, but we're not. But yeah, I want him gone. Evgeny Kuznetsov is way too inconsistent. So I don't want him here anymore again. He's another player that just seems like he plays way too lax a day school. Nothing he really does impresses me, and I think a lot of Caps fans are reaching their wits' ends with him. So I want to see him gone. But, again, it is hard to judge this team considering we have $40 million gone. But Sonny Milano, who is a younger guy, looked he looks like a breath of fresh air because he's young. He brings energy to the game. He brings speed. But, yeah, I think this... There's trouble in this team, and I, I don't want. I think Laviolette's going to be gone at the end of the season, and I think we're actually going to finally see a rework. Um, I think we need to see re a rework of the defense, and I think a lot of these forwards that are on these big nasty contracts need to go, like Carl Hagland and Evgeny Kuznetsov, to the, name a few. The only reason I know who Sonny Milano is is you know the Zegris flip over the net. He was the receiving end of that little flip over the net. He scored that goal. That's the only reason I know who Sonny Milano is. But, uh, I mean, he was a part of that Ducks team that looked like it had a really bright future. But uh, I want to talk about the standings real quick because some shockers in the standings. The Flyers, yes, they're fifth in the division, but they're only three points from potentially being second in the division. So they're, they're playing really well compared to the other teams. New Jersey... Still in first place with 14 games played. They're 11-3 and three with 22 points. To give a comparison of how well New Jersey is playing right now, the top three teams in the league, Vegas, Boston, and New Jersey. That's a shocker in itself. Boston, 12-2. Vegas, 13-2. New Jersey, 11-3. 26 points, 24 points, 22 points. They are playing out of their minds right now. It looks like New Jersey's finally grabbing on to their, grabbing on to their youth and taking it i told you tristan i've always i've been a hey, believer in the devils since like three years ago that's but okay I, that's a lot i thought they were gonna do really good this year and so far they proved me right jack hey. hughes is having a great game he's the great got 14 points in 14 games point per game player the so i still won't grab onto it yet i've been saying this with the flyers too because the Flyers are playing better than they should be playing right now. So is like Seattle's up there. New New York Islanders are up there. Uh, Detroit's doing decent. LA's up there. I won't I won't start hooking onto this yet until I until it's like twenty five games through. Twenty five games. Once you start getting like a third of the way through, then it's okay. I was listening to something else. They said once you get to Thanksgiving, is when you can start really judging if a team's going to be good. And then once you get to Christmas is really when you're like, all right, this is what's going to happen. But he said a stat that 80% of the teams who are in the play, who are in playoff position when you get to Thanksgiving are going to make the playoffs. So it's there's a little bit of statistics there for you, but uh, it still is really early. So I'm not quite hooked on the Devils yet, but they do look really good really early. So 
I will give you that. Uh, I wonder what their goal differential. They're plus 15 on their goal differential, so they're they're doing pretty good. But New Jersey in first place, Carolina in second place, no surprise there. Nine four and one, 19 points. The Islanders in third place, bit of a surprise there. Nine six and zero, oh, 18 points. The Rangers fourth, seven five and three, 17 points. And the Flyers seven four and two, with 16 points. With a game, a game to two games in hand on the four teams above them. So. They have a little bit of lean leeway right now. Points percentage, though. Oh, and then to round out the bottom three, Washington, 6-7-2 with 14 points through 15. 5-6-2 for the Penguins through 13, 12 points. And Columbus, 4-9 with 8 points through 13 games of play. Columbus really struggling this season. They came out with a big win yesterday over the Flyers. But, like I said, Flyers have a game in hand on the first two teams and two games in hand on the third and fourth place team and they're within three points of all those teams well not new jersey but they're within three points of all those teams they are playing really they're playing better than they should be right now and they it looks like they still have it they're like i said it's still early but they're not out of it entirely so i mean they're not playing terribly uh, i wanted to look at their points percentage which it's not up here for it right now uh i'm gonna pull up nhl but the, the points percentage is where you kind of get a better understanding of where players' teams are because of the... Yeah, so the Flyers have the third best points percentage in the in the division because of the change in games. So they are, they're hovering right around where you want them to be. They're not playing terribly, but like I said, it's early. Looks like, I, now again, I don't want to, you know, get rid of them before they actually have a chance. But it looks like the Caps and the Penguins might have finally got caught by father time. You're seeing all, um, all your injuries come through. Uh, like, yeah, like, yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, I think OV, knock on wood, he's like, he's ageless. Still, yeah, he's ageless, knock on wood again, but. Yeah, I think we're going to see a major rework of this team in the offseason. I think we should bring in a new coach. I do not want to see Peter Laviolette back. I'm tired of his defensive systems. It just seems like, I mean, yeah, we have, like, they're trying to score points, and that's great, but I just want, like, solid defensively back. Like, I'd much rather have, like, an Adam Fox defenseman than I would, like, a high score like Carlson. Yeah. So, yeah, I think – um Backstrom, he's played great, but with the salary and considering like how bad of an injury he is, I don't know if I kind of want him back. I, I mean, I know that's difficult to say, but I think I'm going to want the salary. But if we're looking at this, um, I'm going to pull up the Caps injury list and just read off like the amount of money they're making. I don't know if we have time for that. <laughs> I mean, it's... A, we no, get, I, mean, I I was saying like they're just we got time. Shut such up. such a long list. I... Oshi, he's making like four or five million. Carl Haglund's almost making three. Backstrom, he's playing high. Connor Brown, he tore his ACL or so he's out for a while. He's oh. making like three or four. Wilson, he's obviously recovering from. It's an ACL or I think it's an ACL. So yeah, that's a lot of almost 40 million gone and a lot of those guys i kind of want gone like and going into the active players who i want gone eller orloff i think can stay but the rest of the defense like van reemsteig i don't want him i don't want him Faravari, i'm kind of like over him i know that sounds weird but yeah eller mantha kuznetsov yeah so just this is going to be I think if we don't change anything major, I think there's going to be a difficult road ahead for us outside of obviously Ovechkin playing out of his mind and Strom looking like a revelation. I told you, three years of mediocrity. Have you guys have you guys made it past the second round with Laviolette? No. Have you guys made it past the first round with Laviolette? No. I didn't think so. I know you haven't made the playoffs, though, so... And I know we've won a cup in my lifetime. Can you say that, Tristan? I've won... We have a Lombardi trophy in my lifetime. Can you say that? We have a World Series, and I remember it, and I was a baseball so, fan when it happened. Uh, I have a World Series in my lifetime, too, so... 
but you weren't you, you barely you barely knew what was happening back then yeah i was i was six when that happened so <laughs> yep uh, and I barely knew what was happening because I saw them on opening day against the Nationals. I don't realize they were defending champions, but I got into my, baseball. My dad was at that game. Yeah, I I just remember Adam Dunn hit a home run, and I just remember he became one of my favorite players. But and I like when I truly got into baseball was the World Series where they lost. Uh, the well, I mean, going off of that as long as you have nothing left in the nhl i think we can move no. on to the this season's world series now this it was a rough one i mean i think the biggest thing is that the astros did what no other team could do in the playoffs and they shut down the phillies offense in philly i mean they yeah. they made the they made the fans a non-factor which is huge they just the phillies were undefeated at home going into the world series and the Astros said they don't care, and obviously they neutralized they, your offense. Yeah, they got they got no hit in game. I want to say it was game five with it was, Christian, yeah with Christian it was game Vasquez. four. Yes, I think you're right. Uh, Christian Vasquez on the front end of a no hitter, and then game five, another one where they shut down the offense. They and it's not even like the Astros had a had good baseball all throughout. It was. It, for both teams, really, it was spurts of offense. There was no yeah, sustained they were, pressure. They just seemed in to be a little game. more consistent. They were more consistent than you guys were. Not even that. I mean, it's just when they had when they had their offensive spurts, they had them bigger than the than the Phillies did. That's really what it was. The Phillies also. Well, outside, well I I don't agree with that entirely. Outside of like Game Three, I think was the biggest spurt, and I think that kind of showed the top side of your offense. How your offense is built is built off of a bunch of home run hitters, and we saw you guys set a record for the most home runs in a World Series. But then you saw later, it's just your offense was too inconsistent. You struck out too much, the, and you just weren't able to drive you know guys what, in. You know what the biggest piece of it was? I want to say they were zero for nineteen with runners in scoring position in the back in the yeah, final three that's, games. That's that's big. That's gonna hurt you. I I've said this way back to situational hitting. I just like the guys who you'd expect who aren't like the biggest power hitters who should be racking up the RBIs with just Nick singles. Castellanos like, did nothing. Yeah, Harper. I think he should be that guy because I think he's Harper good did mix. great. You, Harper he, tried his. He hardest. did. Yeah, he did great in the first half, like of the series. But I think towards the latter half they kind of fell off. But him, Alec Bohm, Gene Segura. Gene JT. Segura was struggling. Uh, yeah, and I just think that you're like, I mean, we like I said, you saw the top side of your offense where you're setting a record for the most home runs, but towards the end of it, it just seemed like you guys really couldn't drive anybody in. And I think, I think it also uh, going into the series, everyone was saying, you know, the Astros pitching is amazing, blah blah blah. Like the Astros, it's the Astros pitching finally caught up to themselves in the final, like not. So it looked like they were struggling in the first half, but in the second half, the Astros pitching went back to what the Astros pitching was known for. So, I mean, you can't even... Yes, you can say it was the Phillies hitting, but I, I wouldn't say it was as much of a lack of skill in the Phillies offense as I would say it was just in over... It was overmatched for the Phillies offense, if that makes sense. Like, the Astros pitching was far better than the Phillies hitting, and the Phillies pitching was nowhere near the skill level that the Astros had and they just couldn't shut down the Astros offense. And like I said earlier, the Astros everything was sporadic. They the Astros only scored in a total of 54 innings. They only scored on 9 of them in all of those games. They only scored in 9 innings. So they didn't have consistent hitting. There was no consistent offense for either team. There was no steady offense. There was no steady pressure. It was just straight we're gonna come out in a single inning, just explode, and we're not. And then the pitching's not gonna let you do anything else for the rest of the game, which you yeah. saw in Game Six where the Phillies lost. They came out, they hit that three-run home run in, I want to say it was the fifth inning or the sixth inning, and then the pitching just shut shut the offense out for the rest of the game. I so the pitching did exactly what their job was, which hold the offense to no runs and. Another thing was Alvar one of the biggest pieces for pitching wise for the Phillies at least was Alvarado came in on a couple situations where he needed to give up either zero or one run and he did 
he didn't do that and i think that's an issue so i i won't say that it was a lack of offense entirely i will also say that there were some pitchers that should have had better games that just didn't i mean alvarado gave up multiple runs with bases loaded and i'm not saying bases loaded is an easy situation to get out of uh, with one out but i mean he was one of our top three guys and in those situations he was giving up two three sometimes even four runs so there was just it wasn't a team that should have been in the world series but i mean they got there and that's all that matters i think they they definitely outplayed what they should have been if if you look at it the way i'm looking at it is yes they lost like it sucks and it hurts and it's not fun to think about but if you think about it not very many people thought they would make it past the cardinals no one no one not even me i I thought i thought they had a chance to beat the cardinals but no one not even me thought they would make it past the braves and they three won the braves and then they went on to the Padres, which I thought they had a better chance against the Padres than they did against the Braves. But they 4-1 the Padres. So, I mean, they they played a great, great postseason to get to the World Series. And they're the only team in the postseason that the Astros lost to. The Astros swept everyone else they played. And the Phillies put up two wins on them. So, if you look at it as a whole, the Phillies had a decent a decent run. I won't even say a decent run. They had a great run. They finally hit their they finally got hit their weakness come the World Series. And then on top of that, they have a bulk of their players still in still under contract. JT Romuto yeah. is under contract for another three years, I believe. They just picked up Aaron Nola's option, so he's coming back. They have Zach Wheeler for a little bit longer, Reese Hoskins until twenty twenty four. Bryce Harper for another nine, Nick Castellanos for another four, Kyle Schwarber for another three, Brandon Marsh is there for another seven, I believe, Bryson Stott, this was his rookie season, so he's there for a long time, Alec Bohm, this was his third season, I believe, so he still has another three, four years in him, this this team as a whole is still there in bulk, so it's they have a lot of... They have a lot of talent, and a lot of their base team is going to be together for a long time. So this is a team I feel could be a perennial playoff team for the next three, four years. Yeah, um, and all jokes aside, it's definitely an encouraging sight. I, um, you know what you need to address. Um, pitching. You need a better pitching staff, and you need a, probably a more like consistent hitters. Like You have like these home run guys, but... Um, you still need more consistent hitters, but I think part of that's going to come from, I think you're going to see development from Alec Bohm, and I think that's going to be a big part because I don't. he's not going to be somebody who's going to be like Schwarber where he's hitting 213, but he has like a 1,000 OPS yeah. and all his hits are home runs. He's not going to be that guy, but yeah, they, I think you're going to want more from Castellanos. I think he's uh, one of the big reasons for your downfall, but you also have Brandon Marsh who's young. Yeah. I mean, we saw before the World Series how helpful he can be. So, and it's I, it's it's an encouraging, it's very encouraging for this team. You know what else impressed me was Nick Castellanos, who not at all was brought on for his defense. He was barely going to be playing defense. They were going to rotate yeah. Harper, Schwarber, and Castellanos in the outfield. He was considered like he, a liability on defense. He was not brought in for defensive ability at all, and he had three diving catches that were uh, game-saving catches at that. So he had great plays. Uh, and then on top of that, you have... Oh, what? Oh, and going to the situational hitting. I don't entirely think their situational hitting is terrible. Bryson Stott is really good at using the entire field. Alec Bohm hit 400 in the month of July. Uh, Gene Se- And Gene Segura was known to be a contact hitter. Those three, I, they just didn't have it in them. I, I think their situational hitting is decent. Bryce Harper is a top player in extra base hits every single season. He's he's drifted away from only hitting home runs to really focusing on just trying to get the bat on the ball. He's starting to use the whole field a little bit more, not much, but a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, so and considering I'm, the shift's gonna be gone next yes. year, that's gonna be a big help. So for him. I mean, there's the situational hitting. It's 
probably a little bit of an issue, but it's not entirely yeah. an issue. Brandon Marsh is another guy who's going to be good at situational hitting and using the entire field. So. Yeah, and well, going on into Harper, he only hit like 200 in the World Series. I think it's something like that. But Yeah, I after think hitting like that, 419 before yeah, that. Yeah, I, I think that came, I think he that. should be one of your big guys. JT, we didn't. We need to see more RBIs from him. I just think it, your situational hitting, I think it it was good enough and like your previous series because your home run hitters were really working. But once like towards the end of this like the last three games of the series, once those home runs go, like went, you guys needed like really clutch situational hitting and you just could not find it. But In, like credit credit your pitching staff, I think they outperformed themselves. They did as I, I would best agree. as they could. I would agree there. Uh, and in all honesty, the way I close it out is tip of the cap to uh, the Astros pitching. I mean, they did exactly what they were asked to do and shut outside down the of, offense. Outside of um, who's that guy that gave up like seven runs on the Astros? Oh, are you talking like uh, he's he's a starting pitcher, but he like he gave up a lot of runs. Oh, McCullers, yeah. Yeah, and I saw him giving a speech in the locker room, and it's like when you do nothing on the group project but still get an A. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I mean, but overall, for the most part, it's a tip of the cap to the Astros pitching. They they did a good job, uh, and I'm not mad. I'm I'm excited for the future. So I it's not it's not a terrible way to have us to end a season, but it's not the best either. Obviously, a lot of teams would have taken a run like that. Exactly. So, uh. It's it's not the worst, but with that, uh, I think we are going to end it off there as long as you have nothing else left to say. Um, quick prediction. Who do you think is going to win the Cy Young from from both leagues, and who do you think is going to win MVP? Oh, my goodness. Okay, MVP, leagues. AL, Aaron Judge, no doubt. Uh, NL, I'd say Paul Goldschmidt's going to win it. I, I would agree with you there. I'm it's between be- Goldschmidt, Arenado, and Machado. Yeah, I, I would. I Machado came on late, but I think it's going to be Goldschmidt. Uh, yeah, I would say Machado hasn't has a better than outside chance because Goldschmidt slowed down uh, at the end of the season. So maybe Machado, but I don't think Arenado is going to get it. I think it probably goes Goldschmidt, Machado, Arenado in my head. Uh, yeah, I'm um, going to be honest. I'm not exactly. Uh, the great. NL Cy Young candidates are Sandy Alcantara, Max Fried, and Julio Urias. Oh, I I want I want Alcantara to win. I think Alcantara had a really good season, and he's one of the lone bright spots on that Marlins team. I think he I pitches want, really I well. Want, I I really like him as a winner. I want him to win, but I think they're going to give it to Arias. Um, and who are the AL candidates? I know it's and AL. Um, I pay attention to even less than the outside the NLs. Uh, I think it's um. Give me a minute. It's Ver. I think it's Verlander. I know is one. Um, if playoffs had, if it's Verland. Yeah, it's Verlander, Manoa, and Dylan Cease. If Verlander, if the playoffs were af- affecting Cy Youngs, Verlander finally won his first World Series game, but they're not. Uh, I I'm gonna be honest. I don't know much about any of those guys and how they pitch this season. So. I can't I think really. Verland, uh, Verlander's going to win it. He had a around two ERA and he just had a really good, um, really good season. Um, going on into that, I don't think this has been decided yet. But the NL Rookie of the Year is between Brendan Donovan, Michael Harris, and Spencer Spencer Strider. I think this Strider. is this can only. I think Michael Harris. Michael Harris is a good one too. I mean, they both played really well, but. I mean, dude, Spencer Strider was pitching out of his mind. I know, especially against the Phillies. Dude, the Phillies, he went, like, in his three outings against him in the uh, regular season, he went, like, six strikeouts, 12 strikeouts, 13 strikeouts. I just know. I know that from the Phillies, and I know as a whole he was pitching amazing on the season. I would say it's really between those two would be Strider and Michael Harris. The reason I have a – Michael Harris is how good he was defensively, and he had 19 homers, 64 RBI, 20 stolen bases. He almost hit 300, 853 OPS. So he almost was. He was almost part of the 2020 club. Yeah, and um, for the AL Rookie of the Year, this it's Julio Rodriguez. I know Quan and Adley from from the Mariners. 
Yeah, I know Quan and Rushman had great seasons, but Julio Rodriguez, I think, had one of the best rookie seasons I think we've seen in a while. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with you there. Uh, but I I definitely did ha- not have much information on the AL as I did the NL, uh, obviously. And for a second, when you said Michael Harris, he he totally fled my mind. I'm like, who's Michael Harris? <laughs> but uh, no, he, I I do I do I did put it together now, uh, but. For that, that is going to end off our episode for this week. Uh, so you guys can check us out. We release these weekly, Brotherly Love and District, on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, wherever you guys get your podcast, And our Instagram, TikTok, and email is on this side of the screen. So, yes, look at Jacob. He's learning. Uh, so you guys can go check that stuff out on the screen there. If you guys want to email us stuff, it's blndc at gmail.com. Uh, we post the video version of this on YouTube, Brotherly Love in the District, and we do the all the stuff, all the social media stuff is where we post like big news, you know, uh, big trades, big signings, all that stuff. So uh, check all that stuff out, and you can rate us on Spotify and Apple. And with that, we are going to end it off there. So we will see you guys next week. See you later.